Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and the 6th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Oh, wait, let's not go there yet. <laughs> uh, keep your finger there because we are going there. But let's go to 1 Corinthians, the uh, 12th chapter. Let's look at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 4. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried about unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus Christ is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. First thing I want to bring to your attention is that we need to understand that the gifts of the Spirit are the voice of the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost cannot speak in any way that would defame Jesus Christ in any way. Secondly, we really cannot fully express who Jesus is, the work that he's done, as well as his deity and his conquering over death and sin without the voice of the Holy Ghost in our life. That means that the gifts of the Spirit should be flowing in our lives in order to show that we belong to God. Amen. Now, in this passage of Scripture here in verse 1 and verse 4, the word gift comes from the word of charisma. We get our word charismatic. But the word charisma simply means gifts. It means grace. It means deliverance from danger. It means deliverance or protection of. It means spiritual endowment, free gifts, miraculous faculties, the divine grace which pardons the sinner of his sin is given because with no merit from the sinner except their faith. Grace and the gifts are given to us extraordinary powers, things that are like God's hand himself and enablements in order for us to serve and to demonstrate Christ in a very special way without any merit of our own. These are free, sovereign, designed gifts. There are nine of them. Some of them have different classes or different uh, extensions of them, like the gifts of healing or diverse kinds of tongues. And so these gifts, though, are supernatural endowments, sovereignly designed by God, of his knowledge of the end from the beginning. Now, God gives us these things in order to show that God is indwelling a man. 
and to confirm that Jesus Christ himself was God's only begotten son. Now, let's go to Ephesians 4, 7 through 11. And all of these words of grace that we're talking about have to do with divine enablements or empowerments bestowed upon man at God's discretion or his sovereign plan. All right, Ephesians 4, 7 through 11 says, but unto every one of us is given grace. Somebody say grace. There is an infusion of endowment upon every person according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, what God has planned for your life, the office, the purpose that God has for you, there is a divine infusion of grace into your life to enable you to do it. So everything you do has a supernatural touch on it. And it says, wherefore, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, as he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. And he, he that descended is also the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And you can read the rest of that down to verse 12. But the point being is that God has given these gifts Again, gifts are supernatural endowments. They are supernatural endowments for a supernatural purpose. The fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, and the pastor are divine gifts. They are chosen by God's sovereign will, not by our choice. We are chosen by God, and we are equipped by God. And then the outcome is nothing less than the hand of God himself who could perfect you but only God who could bring you to edify one another in love only God who could cause us to come to the fullness of Jesus Christ only God man could never do that only God could have get an amen only God and uh, so Then I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1. Hallelujah. We then, as workers together with him, Christ, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Uh, Wayne Vonderhoek, do you have that uh, meaning of grace here? In this passage of scripture, this is the same thing. Again, it's just, uh, they all mean the same thing. It's just that they kind of take a little take, but they all come from the same, really the same word, which is charis. I think it's charis or charis. And it says graciousness. It means a manner of act. It means figurative or spiritually, especially of the divine influence upon an individual's heart. It reflects the life 
including gratitude, acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, gracious, liberality, pleasure, and thanksworthiness. So all of these words of grace mean the same thing. But when God says, for you have not received the grace of God in vain, the benefits of God, the endowments of God, the equipments of God, the laws of God, the promises of God. Remember what grace is. Grace is God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. He did that and accomplished it through one, Jesus Christ. Now let's go to verse 2. It says, For he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have helped or secured thee. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unformed, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, and unknown and as unknown and yet well known as dying, and behold, we live, the chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Now, let's stop right there. Let's go back to verse 1. Remember what we have received and what grace is. Grace is God's willingness to do for us what we could not do for our own. It is all encompassing in the salvation or the redemptive work that Christ did for us. Now, God has given us grace, and it says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What does the word vain mean? Who? Futility. It means emptiness. Do not receive it in an unusable form. Don't receive it and hold it, yet have an empty life that victory should be ruling. We are what we are by the grace or the absence of it in our life. Here it tells us, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Now, to prove that, I'm getting somewhere here tonight. Just say, oh, what are you talking about? Don't worry, just follow me. 2 Corinthians 12. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12 because I'm really making a point. I'm going to make a point. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. 
I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I can't tell. God knows, but such an one was caught up to the third heaven. This is Paul's translation, up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, only God knows. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, let's stop right there. Who caught Paul up? Did he go to heaven on his own? Did the devil send him to heaven? Who took him to heaven? So if God takes him to heaven and he hears something, who do you think wants him to hear it? Thank you. All right. Now, let's go to verse 5. He that was... Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities or my weaknesses. Now remember, Paul's saying this after the fact. And then he says this, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be like, be, be not a fool, and I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given unto me. Let's stop right there. Though I might be exalted above because of the abundance of revelation. Okay, let's go right back. Who took Paul to heaven? Who gave him the abundance of revelations? Why would God give him something and then allow, like some people say, or let or send a devil to buffet him? That's like giving you a million dollars and then you being punished for being wealthy. And God would punish you, but he gave you the money. You think that's kind of stupid? Yeah, for all of those people that don't even read the Bible. So, and then it says, And there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of God, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. The messenger of Satan. Yeah, but God allowed it. God borrowed him. God, oh, be, be, poop. Why would God do that when he gave Paul revelation and there's nothing hid that should not be made open? Amen. And then it says this, to buffet me, least I should be exalted above measure. Who was the measure? Satan was drawing the line. And it says, and then for this thing, I sought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, God doesn't say that he withholds strength. Really, what God is saying, in my grace, there is sufficient strength to deal with the weaknesses that you are facing. Amen. Most gladly, when I found that out, I would rather glory in my infirmities for the sole reason that the power 
of Christ that is in grace would rest upon me. Now, go to the next verse. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Where does the strength come from? From the endowments of grace. Could I get an amen? In other words, God tells Paul, Paul, I can't do anything for you because I gave you the endowments of grace to be victorious. I have judged everything from the beginning to the end. You deal with it by what I have endowed you with. One of them is authority over devils. Remember that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 1 through 10, look, that in all things we prove ourselves. In other words, you put me through the fire, I come out unburned. You put me in the water, God raises up a standard. The adversary comes against me, God will smite him and he'll flee seven ways. You may try to bring me down, God will bring me up. You put me in a prison, I'm coming out. No matter what you do to me, I will prove that I am a man and a minister of Christ Jesus because I use the grace and I do not let it lie empty, vain, and unproductive in my life. Now, hallelujah. Okay, last week we talked about... Well, first, let's go to 1 Corinthians 9, 16. I, I'm sorry, I'm getting excited, getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory for. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do things willingly, I have a reward. But if I do them against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is commanded unto me. And it, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I may abuse not my power of the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. What did Paul say? He said, I must preach or woe unto me. Now, what did Paul have? He had an endowment of grace. Right? If he did not use the grace given to him, the gift given to him, the call, the purpose. Now, immediately when somebody says, well, what, what, you know, we, we need, I need to find my purpose. Then find it. Oh, but I want you to preach on finding your purpose. Find it. Because it is hidden from every eye except yours. Everybody wants to suck milk off the goat's udder. Stop it. Raise up. Be men. Eat meat. If you think you have a purpose, find it. I don't know what I want to do. I just, I just wander. I just roll. Quit rolling. Quit wandering. 
Find out who you are and what you are equipped to do. Could I get an amen? This stuff of sucking on nipples all the time needs to stop. Come on, we are to be men of faith. Quit you like men and be men of covenant. Well, I just feel like I'm not fulfilled. I think I ought to be doing something. Then do it. But, but can't can, can you make a place where maybe I could plant flowers and be happy? No. Do it. Whatever your purpose is, you find it because you will stand before God without anything except what you've done for the kingdom. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, everybody needs to discover their gift. Everybody needs, everybody needs, everybody needs. Then go to the one that meets the needs. Quit trying to be so carnal that we have to live off of everybody else's influx of information and revelation. Hallelujah. Well, 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 I know what I should do, but I'm just a little fearful. Get over it. Well, I just don't know. Get over it. Well, I just want to get over it. Well, I just get over it. I'm too get over it. I'm, I'm not get over it. I don't have get over it. You're not serving man. You are serving God. And it's time to find your purpose. The last thing I wanted was for somebody to tell me what my purpose was. I cannot believe in what you tell me. Faith doesn't come by a man's opinion. It comes by hearing God. I remember when I first uh, went into the ministry, Phyllis and I were, uh, you know, we, we were living fine until we got saved. And I'm telling you, buddy, I'm telling you, it went for, I had, really, I used to fish tournaments. I had custom painted clothes. You remember that? Now, all, my, all my clothes were custom, they were hand painted to match my boat, to match everything else. Don't you think that's extreme? Absolutely, who cares? Who cares? David painted the temple with gold, cost over $400 million. The only cheap people are the people of this generation. Moving right along, hallelujah. And so, but then we got saved. Oh, Lord, gee, man. Doing fine until I discovered tithing. Oh, it went from good to no good. I'm telling you, we do. We started spelling broke with capital letters. Had to run home and get the red tags off our door. Putting tomato cans around our mufflers. I'm telling you, it was horrible. But we kept believing God. We kept tithing. We kept giving. We kept doing what God called us to do. And we just kept digging in and digging in. And it seemed like every church I went into, and this is the truth, people would be preaching and stop. Thus saith the Lord. Give me a word. It, it wasn't if, if I was going to get a word. It was just when. You know, people, oh, God, I've called you to be an evangelist. So then God challenged me to come out of my job. I would never encourage anybody to quit their job. But God called me to. So he challenged me. 
what, 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 what do you have it tough? Let me tell you this. My church never bailed me out. My church never paid my bills. My church never bought me groceries. Nobody ever gave me a handout. I believe God. I mowed yards free. I hung signs free. I painted free. I did concrete free. Why? I was sowing seed. And I didn't beg for nobody. And God blessed me. So I came out of my job, and I'm, one time I'm there, I said, God, I said, I'm an evangelist. You called me to be an evangelist. And the Lord said these words. I never called you to be an evangelist. I said, yes, you did through those men. He said, go tell those men to pay you. <laughs> I had one evangelistic meeting in a year and a half. How, how many, and, and it was a cheap church. I mean cheap. Yeah, absolutely. One meeting. Cheap. Two nights. Cheap. And God spoke to me. I never called you to be an evangelist. They did. My world fell apart. I said, oh God, what am I to do? He never said anything to me for a couple of months. Talk about a bummer. Talk about being down. Talk about being isolated. Talk about I've been deceived absolutely by men's opinions. And then one day in the shower, God visits me in the shower when I'm buck naked. He just loves it. I don't know why I got filled with the Holy Ghost in the shower. I, you know, praise God. I baptized myself in the shower before I got baptized in the creek. I wanted to do things right. I was in the shower one day, and God said, I've called you to be a teacher to my church. He said, I want you to teach them faith, which if you're not ready, you're going to get right into the midst of it in 2018. And I'm going to preach it without a relentless shred of doubt. And they talk about me anyway. I thought I might as well go out with a blaze of glory. Now, and God spoke to me and said, I've called you to be a teacher. And as I begin to prepare to teach, and God says, I want you to pastor and I want you to build a church in this city. When I told the man, I said, hey, I'd like to rent that building there that has the dirt and all that. I'm going to shovel the dirt floor out. And he said, you're going to do what? I said, start a church here. He said, you're going to do what? He said, I'm going to start a church, pray for people. God's going to heal them. I'm going to see miracles. He said, I'll tell you what. As long as you can stand the pressure, I'm going to give you this building free. One time I was putting carpet in that little place. And a guy came in and said, well, you're finally folding up, are you? I said, no, man, I'm gluing the carpet down. I'm going to be here a little longer. He said, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Now. What did man's purpose tell you? The same thing you do when you open yourself up to get a word from somebody. Now, a prophetic word is one thing. A confirming word is one thing. That falls into the office of the prophet and the office of prophecy. But most people are not after the truth. They are after a soulish stimulation. Right. 
because they haven't done anything that thus saith the Lord told them to do. And they're as big of bums today as they were then. Now, hey, don't get mad at me. It's the God's truth. You keep sucking sour milk, and then you wonder why you're sour and have no joy. Because you've been lied to, deceived, and you're willing to accept anything except pay the price to find out what God said for your life. That's not in my notes. <clears throat> but it was pretty good. All right, now. Now. God gives us these graces. And John, God says, don't use these. Receive them in a vain manner. Don't do it. Now, Paul says, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. You are being held up. You're being buffeted. You're being hindered. You're going through tribulations of persecution. You're being attacked by the devil. Start using the grace that I gave you. Take charge of your situation. Amen. Could I get an amen? amen? And so if your life is all out of kelter and all out of balance, there's grace to write it. There's grace to write it. And it's not that Paul was isolated from not believing in grace. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1, 4, down through 10, he says, you know what? We face death. Man, I'm telling you, we're clear to the point that we despaired of life. He said, then it finally come to us. So, duh, let's believe God. He said we had the sentence on the inside of us. It was faith in God. It was believe that God will meet every need. Believe God that we can do all things. Believe God that he did give us always triumphant victory in Christ. Why did we lean to ourselves again? Depending on grace and living by faith is an ongoing process. And you may get out of wits with it, but you need to adjust yourself. Now, what am I talking about all of this for? Pastor, you, I thought you were going to get in deep. I am getting in deep. I'm getting in real deep because here's what I want you to see. God has given you Nine supernatural endowments of the Holy Ghost. One of them is diverse kinds of tongues. But what we have done is we have prayed to the end of ourself. And we have accepted what self-faith and self-language could do. The Bible says when you don't know how to pray, then invoke the Holy Ghost. And he'll help you and give you utterances that are not articulated by the human language or tongue. Now, if we can incorporate the Holy Ghost to bless our food, which we can. We talked about that all last week. And we can ask the Holy Ghost to give us an utterance. Why do we settle down having been endued with grace an endowment to speak as if God himself is speaking in a situation why do we settle for self accomplishments 
and self percentages. How many of you have unsaved loved ones that you'd really like to be saved? I got loved ones. I'm, you know, I'm just wrestling with enough love to see them again. But, all right, you've asked God, save them, save them, save them. What do you think God's unfaithful? But the Bible says that the devil himself hath blinded them, lest they see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have enough faith to deal with the devil in your own prayer, then what I would encourage you to do, to invoke the Holy Ghost, the spirit of faith, to give you a language that is far superior than yours and get your loved ones into the kingdom of God. Say, well, 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 I don't know why they don't get saved. The Holy Ghost does. He knows exactly why they aren't getting saved. And he can mend what the enemy or an individual has done to them. But see, we, want, we just go as far as self can take us. Even to the point of we are despairing in hope that it'll never be done. We just simply cast off the grace of God and we presume that it's all about us getting it done. It ain't about you getting it done. Come on. How many of you want to see revival? Come on, have, have, raise your hand. You want to see, you really want to see revival. Okay. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you have prayed for that today because there ain't going to be many hands and everybody's going to be ashamed. You want revival. You expect your pastor to produce revival. Revival has nothing to do with one man. It has to do with an assembly, a nation, a peculiar people relentless in their pursuit for an outpouring of God's spirit called the latter rain. Now, now let me say this and listen to me very carefully. When we as a church, not just this church, but as a corporate church, we as a corporate church mutter faithless desires for revival. And it's the truth. Faithless utterances for revival, and we do it only on our own, you know what we have? Just what we got. You want the world to be saved? You want your family to be saved? You want the nation transformed? It'll never be out of human proclamation. But if the Holy Ghost could get you to employ the endowment of grace and use them in place of yourself, there is nothing that will be able to contain revival. In other words, I encourage, I don't, I don't even encourage I implore you, I implore you, I call your attention to the altars of your church. And then instead of laying in bed 15 minutes, so you get up, run a washcloth up one crack and across the other crack, 
wash out your eyeballs and come on to church refreshed, smelling like an old cheap bottle of perfume, because you just laid in the bed, you promised yourself a shower and you ain't got one, but you come to church. But it's always the last few seconds of your life. It's the only time you have is that you're squeezing some attendance out of your life. Is that what you think is going to bring revival? Or do you think that if you use the altars of your church 15 minutes every Sunday, every Wednesday, and you come here, disown your own abilities, disown your own faith, and use it to reach out and touch the endowments of God, the willingness of God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves and say, God, you're wiser than I am. You're smarter than I am. You understand things. Holy Ghost, give me the utterance that will birth revival in my nation, in this house, in this city, in this state. And if every person prayed 15 minutes, now, so, well, I just, oh, you know, that's just too hard. Oh, shut the reruns off at night. Come on, shut the internet down. Come on, what's it giving you anyway? What are you getting at? Shut Facebook down. Stop texting. Do something for eternity. And we come and we pray, not in our own might, but in the infusion and the engraftment of a language that cannot be denied and that we pray according to God's will and not our own limited concepts. We want revival. Revival's just been laid at your door. You want revival. Revival's just been laid at your feet. You want your family saved. It's just been given to you in a nutshell. Now the hard part is, will you receive this infusion of grace in an empty, useless, forsakeable way? Just because it doesn't pertain to your today and your need and your want for bigger and better and more and Because the kingdom is not about individuals. It is about God's will being fulfilled through individuals. Amen. It's totally up to us. Now we can receive the grace of God in vain. Hallelujah. We can receive. You remember David goes up against Goliath. The whole army of Israel is paralyzed. They've said, what are we going to do? He's this and that and that. Excuse after excuse. Just rejection of God's grace. Remember he said one could put a thousand flight. Two can put ten thousand a flight. Why are you sitting in the shadows of an already dead man in the eyes of God. Discussing how you can make a deal. 
David comes along. They said, well, why are you here? There's no cause. David said, look at where you're at. You think there is no cause for judgment? Why are you hiding like a bunch of mere men that have no God? Why are you shuddering at what's going to happen to your families? Why are you here being disgraced by an adversary that doesn't even have a God that said, you come against me with sword and spear? David doesn't even acknowledge that Goliath has any divine strength behind him. He comes and says, you sitting here shows the world that you have excluded yourself from the grace of God. You sitting here, you have forgotten the promises. Just like the ten spire that induced that forgetting to a whole nation. Is there no cause? Is there not a time to look at why you are unproductive and you have not taken your enemy? Isn't there a cause to question, why am I here? Fearful, withdrawn, a show that God has given me no grace. Is there not a cause that we should say, where is the provision of God? Is there not a cause that we should say, the word of the Lord hath said? David finally stands up and says, I don't want your armor saw. Don't need it. Never have fought with it. I've always fought by faith mixed with grace. And I will fight this Philistine, uncircumcised, this manifestation of the devil's plan, his hindrance, his attack, his motive, his hate for God and me, I will fight him in the only way that I know. I'll not go man's way. I'm not afraid of that man's way. I'm not afraid of anything behind him, but... He goes to Goliath and he says, you come against me in your own strength. Those men have tried to wonder how to overcome you with their strength. But I'm not like them. I've come to you in the name of the Lord. I've come to you by the grace that God has given me, the grace of the Almighty, the grace of the Lord of all, the grace that said he'd be with me, the grace that said he'd never forsake me, the grace that said he would make me strong, and I am here, and before sundown, I will cut your head off, and Israel shall be victorious, because it's not by might, it is by God, and what God did to the lion and the bear, he will do to you today. That was David's proclamation. Grace. 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 A 
whole nation. Said, oh, we want. They received the grace of God in vain. Empty, disgraced, shamed, feeling guilty. Showing that as if God had left them on their own. God has not left us. He is for us. And who can be against us? Come on. Let's, let's get beyond ourselves and let's tap in to the supernatural endowments of God. Let us not settle for 10%. Let's not settle for 15%. Let's just not settle for empty murmurings that, that cloak itself in truth when it's nothing but a heart-hardened lie of what we are praying for. May the grace of God touch us and let us come back to where not my will, but, oh, God, yours be done. Let's rise up 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Well, but 15 minutes. Come on. You sat on a pot longer than 15 minutes. And we don't have time. Give our tongue to the will of God and the endowments of grace that will bring us through to the fullness of salvation. We in our household shall be saved. God will heal our land. God will bring revival. Hallelujah. I don't know anything, any way to end this except... See you Sunday morning, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes before 10. Before 10. Hallelujah. See you Sunday morning. Hallelujah. God bless you.